Hey guys, time for the PX3 interview this week, and we got a good one for you. Talking about satire on television, and we got a hell of a guest for you. The head of the Peabody Awards. Yeah, they're slumming it on this show, of all places. It's going to be a great chat. Talk all about the history of satire on television, where we're going now. Uh, we get a little bit more into our, if you remember our, our our Jack Allison podcast about why comedy is is in the place that it's in right now on political television. We I give him the chance to to talk about some of the the theories that we came up with there. But before we go forward, let me remind you guys why these shows happen. These shows happen because you support us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you are at the $3 level, at the $3 level, you get not only this show, not only the PX3 Prime on Wednesdays, you get a bonus on Monday, you get a bonus on Friday. Little Minnesotes that make sure you're not too far away from all of my commentary TakePoliticsSeriously.com. All right, let's go ahead and get into our interview with Jeffrey Jones. Politics, 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 politics. My guest today is Jeffrey Jones. He's the executive director of the Peabody Awards and the author of the book, Entertaining Politics, Satiric Television, and Civic Engagement. He's also a professor at the University of Georgia. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Glad to be here. So, uh, I've actually talked about this a lot because it is something that I'm 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 fascinated by, and and I think that it's kind of changed a lot in in recent years. That is uh, a satiric political television uh so so let's let's just start with with the the, the general history here uh, what is the kind of uh, a very beginning of a mainstream audience getting satiric uh, television content in the world of politics well we often dated to the 1960s uh with that was the week that was a british show that was an import on abc in about 1963 if i have my dates correct uh, and it lasted for a year, uh, and that was its first satire's kind of first foray into American broadcast television. Uh, you know, and then after that, I'm not sure you really count much more until you get to Saturday Night Live. Some people look at Laugh-In, uh, Richard Nixon appeared on there, but really there's not been a concerted uh, treatment of, sat- of, of politics in a satiric way until Saturday Night Live. And then, of course, they emerged in 1975 immediately with Chevy Chase doing uh, his Gerald Ford. And it's not even really an impersonation. It kind of is. But American broadcast television was pretty allergic to um, uh, political satire, maybe because they were concerned about their FCC license, maybe because they were worried about offending uh, advertisers. But it's really not until the cable era until you get uh, other types of programming that emerges that fits in the satiric genre. So unlike, say, Great Britain, American television has not had as much in the way of political satire uh, 
but obviously in this day and age, we're completely saturated with <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, if 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 you're if you're a fan of the form, exactly. No, it was was part of it possibly that the. Yeah, I guess the, the licensing does differentiate television from, let's say, newspapers or books or something. But obviously there is a far richer and, and deeper history in the written word when it comes to uh, political satire, right? Of, of course, yeah. I mean, you can go all the way back. But in America, of course, Mark Twain is the most famous. And then Will Rogers in the 1920s and some of that stage shows that he did as well as uh, radio. Uh, and then, of course, through the 1950s, you get folks like Roy Blunt uh, and then Doonesbury, of course, you know, uh, a, a famous story I quote in my book is that George Herbert Walker Bush uh, was was big chummy with Dana Carvey. Uh, yeah. And we remember Dana from Saturday Night Live and his thousand points of light and the various somewhat gentle treatment of Gerald Ford. But Gerald Ford detested Gary Trudeau. <laughs> really? Doonesbury. And, and back to your point about the written satire, television, while it may seem brutal, can sometimes be softer, gentler than the written word. And, uh, and, 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 and Bush was famous for, for not appreciating Doonesbury very, very much. I guess there is a coldness to writing, right? That, that when, and, and parody and satire in, in the written form, can tend to lend to more uh, uh, excoriating uh, prose, right? That, that That's the exciting thing is when you're totally dismantling something. Whereas on television, sure. if, you're, if you're doing an impression, the best impressions and the most famous characters are, no matter how mean you are about it, it has to let in a little humanity or else the character doesn't work. Yeah, you put it beautifully. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, I didn't want to forget people like P.J. O'Rourke, who comes from a slightly more conservative side, but he's another famous American satirist. But back to your point about um, about uh, television being humane, you know, uh, Lorne Michaels, the the, the famous uh, you know producer of Saturday Night Live, believes that Will Ferrell's treatment of George uh, W. Bush, in some ways, made George. W. Bush acceptable. And while, uh, you know, uh, uh, Farrell's portrayal uh, made Bush seem like a doofus, there was a humanizing aspect to it uh, that did maybe make him, you know, likable in the end. And at least that's something that Lauren Michaels has argued in, in some of his interviews. I've certainly heard that. And obviously, he knows far more about television than probably anybody in, in, in that space ever. <laughs> so, me or you. Exactly. Yes. So, so dare, far be it for me to suggest that he is wrong. But I've always found that but, argument so hilariously self-serving that your program, no matter how influential, and believe you me, that was a huge part of my media diet while it was airing. But I have a hard time believing that, you know, that is something that is uh, more uh, 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 more socializing than let's say bedrock political issues like safety or religion or guns or anything else that motivated George W. Bush voters. Right. Right. Well, you know, and we can go back through, I've actually really criticized Saturday night live quite a bit in some of my academic writing in that uh, they often have based their political commentary so many times on kind of a, just a caricature. So uh, the, 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 they're trying to mimic the way someone talks or acts, but they don't actually reduce the, the, the uh, or, you know, 
but satire can be it can and should be very biting it should actually be a full-throated critique and um and and a lot of what saturday night live has done would be treating bill clinton at the level of his id you know high sexual appetite high appetite for hamburgers but not or or his wink wink nod nod and his charisma and charm but not really his policies uh and you could go through most of the presidents that they've done now of course there's some uh, really good exceptions uh, in, in, in more recent years, but but for many years, and I, again, I think Dana Carvey's would be the best. You know, they they weren't talking about the first Iraq War. It was more of just George Bush, Herbert Walker Bush, as a patrician or the way he talked. And so, in the end of the day, I did not find it to be very biting political satire, but more just a, a gentler touch that, as you're saying, television can often render. So I would uh, so then w- w- before I, I I make my opinion known where what is your take on on the modern uh, t- the, the 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 Trump impressions which are certainly biting to the point of maybe and I guess I'll tip my hand a little bit uh, not being funny just sort of repeating things that happened so the points can be hammered in closer. Well, you know, you we haven't seen a political figure quite like Donald Trump in not. the American. No. Uh, ever. So it, it somewhat changes uh, both what comedians do and what audiences expect. Uh, he's changed the script. He's changed norms. And so it's hard to say, uh, uh, you know, how has TV changed as a result? But but you are correct. There's there's so much out there. Uh, there's a lot of disdain uh, for him uh that that you know is pretty palpable uh but you know that is also you know that that carries us straight to the audience you know what what is the audience looking for if this was a beloved president and you were a satirist and you were uh you know uh thinly veiling your disgust for a norm busting president would the audiences stay with it uh, I think the answer is no. I mean, l- let's look at the success of people, Sam B. or even Stephen Colbert. I mean, he, until he finally went full throat critique yeah. of Trump, who appeared on his show uh, at least once or twice in the 2016 campaign, uh, uh, you know, um, that has made Colbert the number one in late night. Uh, and, 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 and Stephen just recently said in his Anderson Cooper interview, he said, I don't believe I could have Donald Trump on my show uh, in, in, in this next election cycle. That, that, that would not be good uh, that, that I, for, the, for the office of the presidency. Now, that's an extraordinary thing to, 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 to find in late night television for a comedian to say, I really don't think it would be a good idea to have the sitting president of the United States on my show. I, again, back we're, we're, we're in uncharted waters here. We've never seen anything quite like it. Uh, but but, uh, you know, back to your question, what, what we see is, is everyone who's on television in this space is finding some need to comment. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel does it his way. Trevor Noah does it his way. Bill Maher is always gloves off all the time. So it's uh, everybody, you know, but, but, but then again, you could look across all of media and Donald Trump has sucked all of the air out of 
of the room everywhere. You you can't go on social media. You can't go anywhere without talking about Donald Trump. So why would late night comedians be any different? I did an interview with a, uh, a friend of mine, a former uh, Jimmy Kimmel writer, uh, Jack Allison, who when we were talking about our our frustrations with kind of modern comedy in, in the political era, uh, the thing that I think he brought up, so I'll give him credit for the idea, is that the the modal of comedy that's happening now seems to be deriving, like, the, the point of the laugh is Donald Trump is media-obsessed. He is obsessed with finding every reference to himself. So you know, as the viewer, and we're assuming that you hate Donald Trump, that you will take pleasure, as we have taken pleasure, in saying something very mean about him that he will almost certainly hear. Is that something that, that, <laughs> that you think has credence? Yeah, I'm not sure that, again, that they're doing it to get a rise out of the president. I mean, I, I do agree with the first part of that, that he he is uh, completely media obsessed. Yes. Uh, I mean, this, this, that, that's not a judgment. That's an observational fact. No, uh, that's that. That is watched, what that is what his job was before he became president was to watch how many exactly, times his name no. was mentioned in the in, in the New York papers and then hopefully generate more mentions of his name. A absolutely. And so uh, but 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 to say that they're they're inviting a, a you know, a response from the president, I think probably too much. But but I do think that they are offering for, you know, a, a somewhat of a cathartic release or at least addressing the outrages of the day. And, you know, six or seven might go on a, a day or a week. Uh, and so there's always something to comment on. Um, but 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 back to your, your more meta point yeah. is, wow, think about it. Uh, here we have a president who's obsessed with media. We have a Fox News and you're not sure is the tail wagging the dog in that situation? Then you have more liberal comedians who are, uh, you know, commenting on it. And, and, and you see why people think I just want off this, uh, you know, merry-go-round. You know, this is just Trump, Trump all the time. And so uh, we really are in a, a period that, um, you know, back to the, your show, politics, politics, politics. <laughs> it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. And uh, and and certainly the satirists um, are playing a role. Now, I, I want to say one thing, if I can, about satire. Sure. Because you know, you, we we need to think about the difference between satire and just political comedy. So satire okay. is, by definition, it, it is a it's, it's a critique, and it's a full throated critique that's supposed to pass judgment in its critique on someone who has violated the norms, and in the process. Uh, 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 elicit uh, laughter and, and, and serve as this rebuke. So sometimes, you know, uh, you'll find satire that's not ha-ha funny. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times uh, editorial cartoons in newspapers, you don't always walk away and go, ha-ha, that's funny. You think, boy, that cut deep to the bone. And so, um, you know, when you have a norm-violating president, and, and, and again, hopefully that I mean, I have my opinions about Trump, but that is a descriptive thing. The guy clearly has wrote into office saying he would do stuff differently. He's doing stuff differently. So to say he's norm busting is is not a norm. Uh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think that that's con that, that is certainly not controversial on this show. <laughs> I think that everybody yeah, so, that is so a universal he, truth. He, he's busting norms. And so guess what? If you're a satirist, 
you should be passing critique on someone and passing judgment if you feel like they violated the norms of the community. And, and that's a straight up definition of satire that we wrote about in our book, Satire TV, and that I wrote about in the book, Entertaining Politics. So, um, so, so the fact that comedians are doing that, it, it, it's almost like they have to, which is why you even find a comedian like Jimmy Fallon, who kind of got drug into politics against his will, yeah. uh, especially all the critique that he got from the 2016 campaign, even he will engage in this kind of critique against Trump. So, you know, whether you're going to say Kimmel or Fallon or Seth Meyers or Trevor Noah or even, you know, Conan, uh, Trump is being critiqued from almost every corner of late night television. So you you do draw a line between satire and political comedy, even though that would be theoretically uh, a, that has been blended throughout history, that that some things are just about, you know, the fact that we all know who Bill Clinton is. And it's funny to think of him eating a bunch of cheeseburgers uh, and not necessarily critiquing him for don't ask, don't tell. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or for, uh, you know, all of his I mean, Clinton in many ways was a Republican in his policies, in my opinion. Uh, maybe that shows my own politics. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean. Uh, you know, we, 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 we often Saturday night live in particular was always pretty, um, uh, velvet glove when it came to criticizing, uh, actual policies. Um, whereas a show, I mean, I wrote one time, I don't remember if you remember the show on, uh, on comedy central called that's my Bush. Oh my it God. Was, loved uh, it. Yeah. That was one. And, and then, and then there was the one, I forget the name of it where the little animated characters were the Bush Cheney, uh, uh, folks, I mean, some of those were pretty brutal in their critique. So, um, anyway, yes. I mean, well, it, I it's funny. It's funny that you use that one as an example because, right, that that was set to be either Gore or Bush. It would have been a Gore show or a Bush show, depending on. And that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. And it, but, but it was just basically by saying, "Hey, let's do a wacky Three's Company sitcom that's set in the White House that has its own, you know, I guess, uh, critique." But that was by the South Park guys. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, L- Little Bush was that animated show. Yes. Uh, but you're right. That That's my Bush was uh, was very much just exactly. And it, and it turned <laughs> it turned into something different uh, when when George W. Bush uh, came across as the less intelligent of the two for television. Let's put it that way. So what would be your example of a, a- and, and just your personal favorite beyond, you know, saying like the best ever by academic standards, but, but what is your flavor, your favorite flavor of satire personally or uh, political Ooh, satire? That's hard, to, that's hard to say. I mean, I, I like bare knuckle. I think it serves democracy. Well, um, uh, I lo- I like stuff like personally, just me, not, not yeah. my organization or anything. Uh, someone like Sam B really brings it. But I can also see, you know, I don't know if you saw, saw, saw Robin Steedy's show on BET that was a funny satire. Um, so I, I like a bare knuckle, but but of course, Jon Stewart was always uh, my favorite. And I think I like Jon Stewart because if, if, if the situation uh, demanded that there be a level of true moral outrage, he knew how to do that. But he also uh, often had a light touch. Uh, and I don't mean he went light on people. I think he wasn't going to just be brutal or offer a screed because he was angry. 
I think he had that, which is probably why he's such a beloved figure, is he knew when to, to, to be brutal and he knew when to, to cry, in essence, on TV. And he did that on several occasions. And, and I think that's the right touch. You know, can you be someone who's not just for the laugh or just angry? Bill Maher is just seems angry all the time. Uh, whereas, I, you know, I thought Stewart and even Colbert, when he was on his old show, knew how to thread that needle between this is truly an egregious affront that politicians have done. And all right, in this instance, we're really just going to have a good time here and 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 make them look ridiculous, but ultimately not in a mean way. It has been interesting to watch the the disciples of Stewart sort of scatter around our media landscape where now we have so many options yeah. of different things that he has done. And, and Samantha B, I think, certainly carries the mantle of the anger, right? The, the, the yeah. moment when, yeah. you know, Stewart could go to 11, as you mentioned, and Sam B certainly can do that as well. Whereas somebody like John Oliver is a a next evolutionary step forward on the infotainment and and that has been an element of satire that has kind of grown not only on television but also on youtube and blogs and twitter that now especially in the trump era this is not just about things that you are going to laugh at they also want you to walk away and talk to somebody about an issue the next day is is that absolutely something, i guess no I, yeah go ahead go ahead you go ahead i'm sorry no i i think it's a smart observation it is um and I would I would throw in Hassan Minaj's Patriot Act in there. I don't know how much yeah. you've seen that or your audience has seen that, but it's well worth a look at these deep dives on you know big issues like public transportation. Um, you know, uh, John Oliver's show employs several uh, uh, you know you know former New York Times reporters. That they have legitimate journalists that work on their shows. Hawkins team, I personally actually know them because he's won a couple of Peabody Awards. And, uh, and you know, they're some of the smartest guys I know doing research uh, into these issues. And, you know, and sometimes it may be too much of a deep dive for people, but rarely do I uh, watch those shows and not learn a, a lot of things I didn't know anything about. Uh, so, you know, are they entertainers? Yeah, but they're certainly... Uh, employing a lot of smart writers that throw in uh, uh, that build a lot of information and then throw in some good laughs and critiques along the way. Uh, I think it's a hugely, and and of course, Hassan was on the daily show with Trevor Noah. So both of those are daily show uh, alum alumni. Uh, But I, uh, I I think it's a huge uh, important development in the history of, you know, you call it infotainment, but it's political entertainment television. Both of those gentlemen have won two Peabody Awards uh, apiece. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, we, we think we're the, uh, an 80-year-old award that is uh, often about, uh, you know, uh, stories that matter. And so I, I've, I've just been emboldened to, to see them on the, on the landscape and, and what they do weekly and, and the space that they have, instead of doing a nightly show, to produce a weekly show that really is informative, uh, I, I, I think they're a real great to have those voices in our in, in our uh, democratic landscape. We've certainly had a lot of commentary over the last few you know, years post-Trump about the loss of faith 
in journalism that that Donald Trump yeah. attacks journalists, he attacks reporters. I mean, certainly not the first politician to do that, but he probably the loudest. Uh, but the first time that I remember hearing about the idea that people don't trust the news was as John Stewart became ascendant, that he was the newsman of a generation that people have kind of lost for whatever reason that they have lost touch with the, the Cronkite esque relationship with a nightly news program or a news anchor or newspapers as they had slowly begun to uh, lose relevance. What do you think satire's role is and specifically where we've gone with the performers that we've just talked about with the fact that maybe we don't trust the front page anymore? Well, now I'm going to go in full professor mode. Actually, you know, people have held the press in low esteem for a long time. I remember I started graduate school in the early 1990s, uh, just as George Herbert Walker Bush was finishing up. And and he used to actually at his rallies uh, castigate the press and mobilize people against them. Of course, Spiro Agnew is famous for attacking the press, as is Nixon. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it, the, the, the loathing of the, and dis, even distrust of the press, uh, if you look at Pew data, Pew research data, you'll see that that's been a, a long time running. We've just never had a politician like Donald Trump who says, oh, well, that's fake news. If you don't like what you're hearing, that's because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not real journalism. I actually think I, instead of trying to address your question at the level of, uh, of, of what is satirist done, I've actually written quite a bit of Fox News as political entertainment television. That is to say, they talk about public affairs, but they treat it as entertainment. They're not doing investigative reporting. They don't have reporters around the world like CNN does. They actually just have a lot of talking heads who speak in a pretty similar tone across all of their day parts, and they are very uh, much about performing a certain type of political reality for their audience. And the Fox News message, central to its forming in 1996, is don't believe all these other people. We're giving you the real version, and they called it the other side, but it's not. It's theirs is the right version. So, so much of what of our critiquing of, of, of the press um, is, can be really brought back to Fox, but also people like Rush Limbaugh, uh, Sean Hannity's radio show, Dennis Prager, and others that are in that space. So I, I think the sowing of discontent has come from those who profited by saying, don't believe all those other players, believe these conservative voices that affirm what you're thinking. And the Pew data, again, they do great uh, statistics, bears that out. You will see a percentage of the polity and the television audience that will only get their information from these kind of conservative sources. And so I think uh, a lot of that distrust is there. Now, you're doing a show about satire, I'll come back and say, but I, I do think it maybe is a radical notion to think that just because Fox News calls itself news doesn't make it that way. I mean, th uh, they perform this stuff, and, and it's often based in fear and hatred and the other uh, things against uh, liberals that have made them billions of dollars for for News Corp. Um, whether Saturday. Well, hold on, wait, let me let me let me just let me just uh, just to, just to interject one sure. thing. I mean, certainly, 
criticism of mainstream press is not only a conservative thing, although certainly, as you've mentioned, with all the people sure. there in the outlets, I mean, we've there's a long history of, you know, Howard Zinn's attacks on a corporatist press, sure. for example, that sure. uh, uh, that I would no, say, no, I mean, like Trump. that, that there, no, there are Trump. seeds there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, Noam Chomsky, manufacturing yeah. uh, consent, right? You yeah. know, so the left. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, 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 the difference is, though, is, uh, you know, I'm not seeing this, uh, you know, the number one cable channel. Yeah, now, I'm not talking about news channel. The number one cable channel is Fox News. And it has been that way for years and years and years. Yeah, it was only behind 21st Century Fox, the film division before they all broke up. It's the number one profit center of Fox. Uh, and so you've got to realize that they've made bank. Whereas if you want to say MSNBC is like a voice of liberalism, I guess, but in no way have they helped shift the dial. And in particular, what MSNBC is full of NBC news people. So they're part of the broadcast network. What Fox News has done has brought in all kinds of people that have absolutely no credentials. Let's look at Tony Laren, for instance. You know, <laughs> the, the, the woman has a blonde hair. Uh, and beyond that, I don't know what her credentials are to be on television, other than she says inflammatory things that work well for that audience. So. You know, that that's the number one thing. And again, uh, the president of the United States is very much attuned to the same dialogue that Fox is conducting with his viewers. Uh, he's doing that with his, his constituency. And so uh, both outlets have for quite some time talked about, uh, you know, you can't trust the press. You can't trust the press. You can trust us. And, you know, uh, let's just call it spade a spade. That's the, the, the root aspect of fascism is you don't believe those other things. You can only believe this one source. So I'm a lot more afraid of those outlets than I am of of a satirist sure. who, uh, you know, are attacking. I mean, basically, they're punching up and the other side is punching down. Yeah, I guess I guess I, 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 I am interested in the relationship of, of understanding that there is a gulf between at least on on some intellectual elements, and obviously there have been profit centers that have been exploited in in the way that you mentioned Fox News, but that there is an, an inherent distrust of like, well, am I getting, especially now in our internet era where so often the concept of a very few amount of people are telling us what is real seems more and more foreign. and And that began with cable, it has uh, grown exponentially sure, sure. with the internet and blogs, and then yet another quantum sure. leap with social media. And I, I do think that there is an element of of what John Stewart and Stephen Colbert did, where they were even you know Colbert specifically doing a parody of the kind of commentary that you saw on Fox News that was about uh, uh okay well let's let's exploit that difference let, let let's let's go that now those gatekeepers are just as fair game as let's say a politician would have been well yeah and let's think about the heyday of stewart and colbert which was the 2000 you know the iraq war yeah. 2003 2004 you know the new york times and judy miller were right in bed with an administration that lied to the american people about why we're invading a nation and so if if the satirists were the ones going now wait a minute here yeah. Uh, you know, all, but, but this is your point, right? You know, yeah. uh, that, that, that they did lead the way in saying, 
you may not want to trust that. I, I think what's what's difficult is 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 uh, you know people's ability. I, I do think a lot of people still do trust the press, uh, but there was this moment in American history in the three broadcast, uh, three network uh, broadcast era, as you said, kind of pre-cable, in which you know the three news channels had a more uniform voice. The most people did receive at least a morning paper or a morning and an evening newspaper. And so much of that landscape has been radically transformed, certainly in the cable era, but in particular in the digital era. And so there is a shopping around for who can I trust, uh, who, you know, and, and, and what journalism outlets are, are serving me as an information consumer that I can trust. And, and so we are in a very difficult period. Uh, and, you know, we're until uh, some things change and emerge and regulation of big tech. I mean, we don't know where this is going, uh, but right now people are wandering around. And, and again, I think uh, we have to admit the power that the most powerful person in the nation is sowing the seeds of even further dissent of if it says something negative about Donald Trump, then it must be fake news. And, and a lot of people are willing to follow that, and uh, and it just uh, further sows seed of kind of confusion and, and, if you will, dissent a bit. Are we better for the destruction of that morning news, evening news, daily paper aesthetic? Oh, that's so hard to say. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, um, the good things that when professional journalists and 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 people with a tremendous amount of integrity spoke through a common voice, uh, what it did for us. But you could also often, as we've shown in the academy or scholars, you know, if they're railing against LGBTQ rights, guess what? <laughs> you get, uh, you know, huge sections of the population treated as as subhuman or uh, look in the areas of race, you can see the same thing. So, you know, media, uh, that, 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 that era in which so much information was similar because of the norms of journalism uh, could be good in binding us together and at least providing a, a center pole from which we could, you know, uh, form opinions around. Uh, but it also could be seen as working for corporate capitalism and, uh, you know, uh, certain certain hegemonic forces in society. So, you know, uh, I'm not willing to say that was a golden age that we've lost. I think this digital era we're in, we're still in a in an era of ferment and how that's going to play itself out as, you know, the political economy of media shifts from, you know, newspapers are hardly existent in print form much anymore. There's news deserts around. The local journalism is going to have to be reborn and developed. Will big foundations like Knight and MacArthur and others help save the day on that stuff? We've still got a long way to go. I just know that there are agents that sow uh, dissent, and this is, you know, again, facts, uh, at least I believe they are, of what Russia does and continues to do even right this second uh, in sowing these, you know, seeds of doubt and, and, and citizen against citizen type of propaganda that's being uh, proffered in this uh, era where you can 
share stuff on Facebook that has no relationship to reality. So I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm in the middle on it, but I, I think we've got a, a long way to go to recover uh, a sense of, um, of, um, you know, trust in certain media outlets. Although I will say that as one of the students who was one of the first people who was on Facebook, uh, I can I can say with certainty that posting random nonsense with little connection to reality is built into the product uh, because that was definitely <laughs> what was happening when I was posting on it back in the day. Uh, one last question, and this is kind of both in terms of the satire and also the moral health of our country. There has been I've read a lot recently uh, about the idea that we are losing a common truth that there is something that we can all believe in. And even for satire, that's necessary. You have to know that a thing is happening to either critique it or to make some kind of political comedy on it. That's the basis of a premise, not only of a column, for example, but also for a joke. Do you think that we are losing our common truth? Uh, and that's the hundred thousand dollar question, right? Um, I think what's happening is, uh, as again, I, I think we look back in history and see uh, that the control by a small number of outlets. Again, think about how the New York Times is a paper a record, and so many people followed it. That that was that was a good thing. I, I think you're going to just get competing versions. But let's let's put it this way: facts have you know things happen. Uh, the, the globe is warming, for instance. But what do you then do with it? And who do you trust to help you uh, believe in that? You know, Earl Morris and Bob Odenkirk just put out a series of like nine commercials about climate change. And Earl Morris, the famous documentarian who did Thin Blue Line and mm -hmm. a bunch of other famous movies, says, you know, facts and, 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 and PowerPoint presentations don't change anybody's mind. <laughs> So I think we're we're in a moment in which uh, the the facts exist, but how do you move people uh, through storytelling? And that's ultimately at the end of the day, Fox News prefers a story that uh, you know, and we could detail it, but you know the the contours of it. It's the the enemy that's without and within. Uh, we must fear them. Blah blah blah. Uh, what we're finding, I think, is who's going to present stories uh, of, of that, 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 that appeal to our better angels. Uh, I, I think often, while satire can be brutal about those who hold power and wield it to, uh, you know, in, in, in ways that are not good for democracy, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, comedians, I think, do hold a, a, a positive view of humanity. Uh, and don't try to sow dissent to uh, to gain power or keep uh, certain people in power. And, uh, you know, ultimately, those stories are just going to compete. Some is comedy. Some will be documentaries. Uh, some will be podcasts like yourself listening to scholars like me. So uh, ultimately, will citizens have the faculty to make the judgments. I mean, isn't one of the greatest ironies is that we have so many people who go to college and yet they can't discern, as Steve Martin said, shit from Shinola, you know, <laughs> uh, don't know. Um, so um, we'll see. But I, I think the, the era in which the New York Times said it and everybody believes it is done. And so the question will be, are those stories that just appeal to your biases or are they stories that actually 
help you see the human condition, that move you, that change you in the process. And we've never been in a better period for rich serial narratives, for, for documentaries, for beautiful interactive stuff on the web. So I, I, I'm actually optimistic that the storytellers who are working for humanity and not uh, those who just need a profit uh, to, you know, uh, have fossil uh, fuels continue into the 22nd century, um, that, that's, that they're going to win. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. Well, thank you so much. Uh, my guest has been Jeffrey Jones. He's the executive director of the Peabody Awards and the author of the book, Entertaining Politics, Satiric Television and Civic Engagement. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Justin. It's been a pleasure, sir. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>